And there's only one word that matters, and that's His word. There's only one word that's true, and it's His word. And the more that you understand who you are and who He says you are, and the more time you spend in His presence where He's speaking that to you and confirming His word, the stronger and the more faith and the more power you're going to have. The more that you understand like why we're, why we're going through the book of Revelation, why we're studying eschatology, it's so that we understand that we're seated. We're seated in heavenly places, that we understand that we are part of that 24 elders that are seated, that we are who he says he is. We're righteous. We're holy. That he sees us as if we've never sinned, that we can have a confidence. We have a confidence in the times that we're in, that we're not afraid. I, I say this all the time, but I, I haven't seen a spot yet where the Bible instructs us to be afraid. He says, be strong and be of, be of good courage. He says, don't be afraid, for I go with you everywhere that you go. That's what he told Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous, for I go with you everywhere you go. That means no matter where I go, he's with me. He's still with me even when I make a stupid choice. Even if I start going off the wrong path for a second, he's still with me. He's going to be walking with me going, son, where are you going? Don't go that way. Everywhere I go, there's, there's no place that I could go. David said, there's no place I could go to escape you. If I went to the heights of heaven or to the pits and the lowest parts of hell, you're there. He's everywhere. And he loves us, church. He loves us. We are who he says we are. And no matter, no matter what argument is coming against that, you have to bring the truth. That's what Jesus did. He brought the word. And we have an obligation to prophesy that. He says, when, when I open my mouth, miracles start breaking out. Well, what are we saying? We need to be speaking in agreement what he says. And when you have an understanding of his word, and when, when the Logos goes to Rhema, when it becomes an enlightened word, when it becomes a word that jumps off that page, and you grasp that, and you go, that's mine. There is faith that comes behind that. And when you begin to prophesy that word, there's a powerful release that happens because faith cometh by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And it doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot if I prophesy what I think. That's, that's gonna, those words are going to fall by the wayside. But when I, when I prophesy and I speak what his word says, that's powerful. And that's why we're here, church. We're still here because we need to be speaking life. And this is life. Whatever else is getting said that's against this is death, and it isn't true. But this is the truth. So we have an obligation as Christians or little Christ to speak truth and to prophesy the word of God and to speak that in love and in power. Especially in a dark and corrupt world that is going against that. And that doesn't matter what area of the world that we're in because we are living in this world. That means we're a part of all of it. So that I have an obligation to speak life and to speak truth into those areas. And so do you. The areas that we have seen the decline and fallen are areas that the church has stepped out of. Hear me? The areas that the church has left and said, we shouldn't be involved in that. The enemy said, thank you very much. We have an obligation in every single area because we're the light of this world. If we vacate an area, that means there's no light in it. So we have an obligation to walk in our power and an authority that is who God says we are and all the areas of all the avenues that we're a part of and as long as you're on the earth and you're a part of this world you're a part of this earth and you have an authority behind what you speak if you vacate that authority then you're allowing another authority to come in do you understand how authority works a higher ranking authority has the governing power if you vacate it, then a lower-ranking authority will have power. So why would we ever want to vacate any area while we're here? Just, just a little question. Especially when we have this powerful truth and this word. That is the answer. You know, the, all this corruption, all the stuff that's falling apart is because this isn't getting taught and this isn't getting applied. But it's such a beautiful thing that when... This gets taught and this gets applied and it gets put on. I don't care what situation it is. It gets better. Amen. Amen. So thank you guys. Thank you for that powerful time of worship and truth and <laughs> encouraging me. Amen.
So we're going to continue. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up today. You guys did good last week. You guys, you guys are like a faster listening group. You, you need less input. The second service group, they need more input. So you guys always give me hope. We're able to get through there. I'm like, man, this second group, the Holy Spirit's dropping more things. They need more help, apparently. So don't tell them I said that. If I wanted to know that, I'll tell them. Amen? <laughs> so if you weren't here last week, we were going over, um, attempting to go through. And, and this is not all of them. They're just some of the bigger ones that are standing out to me. Some of the problems that I see biblically um, with mid- and post-tribulation. Now, let me refresh. Um, there are a lot of highly intelligent, great biblical scholars that see things differently than I do. Okay? That does not mean they are not um, sons and daughters of God. That does not mean that maybe they're right. That doesn't mean that um, we need to be fighting with them. Amen? I will not say that they are demonically inspired unless they're demonically inspired and they're teaching something that is absolutely heresy. Amen? Um, unfortunately, some of the people in these other camps are getting very popular to say that if you're a pre-tribulationist, that you're dem demonically inspired. I do have a serious problem with that. Like, that's not okay. If, if you're not, you are, it's not the same spirit influencing you to speak that. Amen? So that's where I would say, like, okay, we have a problem. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Um, last week, we covered one of the first ones was, um, as believers, we would be looking and waiting for the Antichrist instead of the Lord. That's a problem that I would see with a mid- or post-tribulation. Um, and Titus, give us the, the um, um, scriptural context that we are to be looking for the blessed hope as believers. Amen? We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Christ to return. Amen? So that was one of the first problems I have. Um, and Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? Because he's coming for us personally. That hope is our elpes. It's a primary word it's to anticipate usually with pleasure, expectation, or confidence. That's the hope we're supposed to have, a blessed hope. So it's a joyfully confident expectation. Um, the second point we looked at was the restrainer must be removed before the Antichrist is revealed. That's what, that's what Scripture tells us in 2 Thessalonians, that the lawless one will be revealed. And then the restrainer would have to be removed in order for the lawless one to come and do what he needs to do. Amen? And that restrainer, who's the restrainer? The Holy Spirit in us, the church. Amen? The Holy Spirit us, the church. Some people say, well, it's the Holy Spirit. Some people say it's the church. Yes, I agree. It's the Holy Spirit in the church. <laughs> that's the restrainer. Amen? That's my, that's my understanding. Um, I love Paul's heart was constantly, he does not want the church to be uninformed. He didn't want the church to be uninformed. He did, the, the, the Thessalonians first thought that they missed it. They thought, oh, no, what about the people who've died and went on ahead of us? They're not going to be in the rapture. And Paul says, don't worry. Don't worry about them. The second time they're thinking they're, they missed it. These people thought that the, the rapture was so imminent that they stopped working. They were expecting a very soon return. They started working. Paul's having to tell them, look, you need to work. Yes, we need to, we need to have, and there's people doing that today. You need to believe that it could be at any moment, but you also need to be prepared that it might not be. So there's, there's, a, there's a truth in that. It's like, I, I, from what I see, man, it's, it's getting close. And any knucklehead could see that it's a lot closer now than it was. <laughs> right? How many can say, I mean, without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're closer to the rapture than we were when we first started? Okay. That was a Pastor Jay test, right? The fireman's test? <laughs> Some of you got it. Um, one of the other things I saw, one of the problems, is that mid-trib, pre-wrath, and post-trib, it defies the doctrine of eminence. And that doctrine of eminence will guide us, and, and Jesus said it multiple times, and I only used a handful, I could have used even more, that he said to watch and be ready, watch and be ready. You don't know the hour, watch and be ready. So what do you think that means we should do? Watch and be ready. Amen. So, so the mid and post-trib are going to defy that doctrine. Because you would be able to see signs. You would be able to tell, okay, well, when the Antichrist does this, then... So you wouldn't really need to be too much on the alert. The rapture is signless. Or cosmic signless. Amen? Which was a pretty big point, the eminence. But for the sake of time, we're not going to spend too much more time there because we want to keep moving on. Um, the fifth point. This is number five, um, and, and I feel this is a pretty valid one, 
just going to say, like they, they all are, but the church isn't referenced after chapter 4 in the book of Revelation again until chapter 19. I find that's a pretty, pretty good clue um, to um, the only time the church is being referenced, in my honest opinion, is through the 24 elders, and, and they're always they're in heaven during that time. Kind of a fun little fact is the elders are only informing John on things that are happening in heaven. The elders don't inform John on anything that's going on on the earth. It's the living creatures that do that. But the elders are giving information to John about what's happening in heaven. And pretty, pretty good information there. Um, we see the outline of the book of, the, of Revelation is given in the first chapter. And he uses this word called metatata. It means after these things. After these things. And he uses metatata. And he gives us a divine outline, I see, in chapter 19 of Revelation. And it says, therefore, he tells John, therefore, write the things which you have seen. That's the picture, what he's already saw of Jesus with the white hair, the glowing eyes. You have seen this. So write down what you have seen and the things which are, and we saw that through chapters one through three is the church or two and three, the church age, all the different church, the things that are. And then he says, and then write down the things which will take place after these things, metatata. So there's three sections that I believe that we can see an outline of, of how we're to, to see the book of Revelation. He tells John, write down the things that, that you've seen, write down the things which are. You see that in the church age, and then write down the things metatata. And then you see that beautiful word in chapter 4, verse 1. John says, after these things, metatata, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place, metatata, what must take place after these things. So, after these things, the church age is wrapped up. After these things, he's taken up to heaven, almost raptured, you could say. <laughs> and he's giving a picture of the wrath that's going to happen, and he's not even on the earth at that moment in spirit. He's, he's getting what's going on, and, he, and there's some clues. There's a, the sound of a trumpet. I read that somewhere. Amen. I see some pictures here. But the main thing is that I see these words. Therefore, write the things which you've seen, the things which are the things which have taken place after these things. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, after these things. So I believe that's after the church, after the church age. You don't have to agree with me, but I'm just showing you some reasons that I see that there's some problems with mid and post-trib theology. Um, and I did cover some of that in the past, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there. Um, but I challenge you, and I encourage you to, to do some study. Number six, another reason. Mid-trib rapture confuses the purpose of the 144,000 Jewish men. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time there. Mid-trib rapture, my, one of my problems, it confuses the purpose of the 144,000 Jewish men. You guys know where I'm at? Revelation chapter 7, 2 and 4. It says, And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, holding the seal of the living God, and he called out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Now, who's, who's harming the earth and the sea? Okay. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So he's saying, we, hold on. Don't get too carried away yet. We need to seal the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And this would be a great question at that point. Okay, well, then who are the bondservants? Let's let Scripture tell us. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Every tribe. And then he goes out and he lays out the 12,000 of each tribe, which is 144,000. Now, in my studying, this triggered something. And back in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel in chapter 9, we see sealing. And very interesting, Israel has gone astray. There's a bunch of abominations happening in Israel. And he tells Ezekiel to go out, and he has men that are going to come, and they're going to, they're going to put a hurting on Israelites, the people who have been sinning, who've been 
um, doing abominations. They've been doing things they shouldn't be doing in the temple in the presence of God. And right before he goes out and sends out these men to destroy all these people, he tells them to seal some folks that hearts were broken because of the sin and the things that were going on in their city and in their time and in their world. He said, seal them. Don't hurt them. And he seals them. And it's very interesting. He seals them with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And at that time, that symbol looked like a cross. I thought that was so awesome. He uses the symbol and the sign. It looks like a cross. Seal them. Don't hurt them. Don't touch them. They're sealed. Why am I sharing that? I want us to see a little bit of what God has done in the past because prophecy concerning Jewish prophecy is, is prophecy. There's a pattern. Us Greek or Gentile or people who are not Jewish, a lot of times we, we look at prophecy and then the revelation of it. Prophecy fulfillment. Prophecy fulfillment. That's all we really see. It was prophesied. This was fulfilled. Jewish interpretation of prophecy is always a pattern. They look for pattern. And when you start looking at that, seeing that, it is beautiful. You see, like, God actually knows what he's doing. He's doing a lot more than we think, and we're going to miss a bunch if all we look at is prophecy fulfillment. But you see these patterns, and that's why I want to share that. But there's a pattern that God's doing, so we can learn a little bit from that pattern. Amen? So in Ezekiel 9, God tells Ezekiel to put a mark on the foreheads of those who sighed and cried over the abominations committed within the city and temple of Jerusalem. And that identified them with God. The fact that their hearts were broke about what was going on, it it identifies them with God. He says, these are people that have my heart. Amen? Just like righteous Lot. How many do the immerse? You read through the immerse and you saw this, that just like righteous Lot, who because he was grieved by the conduct of the people of his day, God rescued him. Same thing going on. I see a connection there. Just like righteous Lot. And, And we see... That, that God uses the, the story of Noah, he uses the story of Lot, and, and Peter's using that so that we gain some understanding about what's going to happen. So I find this pretty interesting, that just like righteous Lot, who because he was grieved by the conduct of the people of his day, God rescued him. So 2 Peter chapter 2, 4-9 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, and I'm going to give you a little more than probably is needed, but just to, you can see the content of what's going on. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the earth, the world of the ungodly, he brought a flood upon the world of who? The ungodly. Now, something interesting. This is a little free nugget here. Um, You can almost see that there's a picture here um, that. How many know that um, Enoch was the first person that we see raptured? I believe there's a pattern there. There's a picture. Something kind of cool. Enoch gets raptured before the flood comes on the earth. Kind of neat. Before, and what's the flood? It's the wrath of God. Enoch goes before the wrath. Now, Noah builds an ark, and he provides a way for the Jewish people, well, for him, um, if, if other people would have believed, they could have been carried through that and survived it. So that could be, and this is just Steve Dennison's thought on this, so if you don't agree with it, it is okay. We're not going to fight over it. Well, I mean, we could, but I'm, I'll tap. You, you win. Okay? Um, you could see that, hmm, maybe there's a pattern there. Very interesting. I think it's pretty cool. But I'm not going to build, that's not going to be my whole foundational um, uh, why I believe what I believe, but I find, honestly, that's why I'm very, I'm very persuaded, very strongly. I see so many different patterns throughout Scripture to point that we're on the right track. Amen? Continuing, he says, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example of those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, you see in patterns here? If he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Church, does that sound familiar? 
Is that your heart? That in this day and age, your heart's tormented by the unrighteousness, by the things that are going on in our time that are definitely ungodly. They're demonically inspired. They're perverse. Does it, does it bother your heart? Is it affecting you? You're not alone. This is the same thing that he was talking about. Biblical Bible's telling us, and Peter's sharing this, that righteous lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt, his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. If God rescued him, he says, goes on, Peter says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation or trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Amen? So let's look at this. The sealing of the 144,000 happens after the rapture, in my humble opinion, and I'll show you why I believe that, and are protected from the Antichrist during the tribulation. So these 144,000, we know they're sealed and they are protected from Antichrist. Amen? The 144,000 is not the church, and here's one other reason I want to show you. The 144,000 is not the church because the church has already been sealed. You with me? Yes? Don't take my word for it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, In him you also are listening to the message. Now, who is Paul writing to? The Ephesian church. Also, the, 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 the letter to Ephesus was passed around. Amen? It, it was a, and many of Paul's letters were done that way. So he's writing not just to the Ephesian church. He's writing to the church. You could literally put, when you read the church of Ephesus, that letter, to the church of new life. When I, lived in, when I was in Valley Springs, I would often say, to the church of Burson. Put your church there. How many know when you put your name in Scripture, it becomes very powerful? Like, I had, a, I had a divine encounter at our, our men's group. It was a rhema word that came alive to me by simply putting my name in a section of scripture I had never done before. And let me tell you, it was like, I mean, I didn't get saved again, but it was like one of those, whoa, like some more stuff broke off. Some more strongholds that had been there for years were like blown up and exposed. How many know that's a good day? This, this is the power of God's word. So the Ephesian church, in verse 113, we could say to the church of new life, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, that means past tense, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise. The church isn't the 144,000 because the church has already been sealed. You follow me? The 144,000 are being sealed in chapter 7 of Revelation. That's after the Meditata. You follow me? That's after the seals. That's after the, the 24 elders are seated in the throne room, chapter 4 and 5. After they sing the song of the redeemed. Who can sing the song of the redeemed? The redeemed are sealed. Amen? Amen? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's a good word. So, let me ask you a question. Does the church represent Christ on the earth today? Amen. The church represents Christ on the earth today and is sealed. So you can see that the ones that are sealed represent Christ on the earth. So the 144,000 will play a similar role. They will represent Christ. They're sealed. They will be witnesses to the tribulation age saints and to the people of that day, just like the church is now. Amen? That, am I taking any too far of leaps, or is that the pattern? Okay. So then we can, and, and why are they sealed? What, why is the church, if the church represents Christ today, what is our purpose in representing Christ this isn't a trick question. This should, you guys should know this. Great commission? Amen. To evangelize the world, to represent Christ, to be a bunch of little Christ that are representing the kingdom and saying the kingdom of God is here. 
We can lay hands on the sick. We have been given authority. We are who he says we are. Amen? So that's our role, and that's our position while we're here and until we're gone. That's our role. No matter what anyone tells you, no matter what the government says you can and can't do. You need to hear me. You're not disrespecting authority by being a Christian, by evangelizing, by going and preaching the gospel. How can you lay hands on the sick and have them recover if you can't do that? How is the church supposed to be the, the church if you can't gather? It's not possible because it's the gathering of the saints that is the church. I didn't define that. It's the assembling. That's the word. The assembling. The ecclesia. The assembling. Now, it doesn't have to be here, but it's got to be somewhere. So as long as we're paying the taxes here and we bought this building, we might as well be here. Because we have an authority that's higher than Gavin Newsom. It's higher than the president. No matter who the president is, there's a power and authority that's higher, and we submit to him. Now, I submit to the president, and I submit to the, to the governor as long as it doesn't go against what my higher-ranking authority says. And that's always been the way in Scripture. The same men that said, obey your, the, the leadership and the authorities of this earth also said, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I can't quit preaching the gospel. I'm still going to go out and tell people about Jesus. I'm still going to go heal the sick. And they let him out of prison, and they went right back and kept doing exactly what they were doing. So you can't say that, well, they said to do that. Yeah, they said to do that, but they also understood that you don't have anything to fear of governments or authorities if you're not doing anything wrong. And I'm not doing anything wrong if I'm doing what my father told me to do. And Paul actually did actually even use his citizenship. And some people in the church will say, well, you know, you have being an Americans, you have these rights. The, the church, God doesn't say nothing about that. Well, Paul had some amazing rights as a Roman citizen. Did he not? Did he use those? Remember one time, the, the person that was abused, oh, yeah, it cost me a lot. He goes, yeah, in order for me to get my citizenship, it cost me a lot. And Paul said, I was born a Roman citizen. He went, whoa. We shouldn't be whooping him or doing anything right now. Why? Because he had a citizenship and he had rights. So we as Americans, we still have rights. It's not against the, the God's law to use those. Just want you to see some things. How'd we get there? Maybe because we're supposed to represent him. Amen? So we are to witness and evangelize the gospel to this world. Don't let anything stop you or tell you different. Because here's the other thing. It's so funny how the American church is the only church that like really wants to use the law to hide behind. Because yet even our own organization, we send the gospel to all kinds of, to the nations around the world, even the ones that say you can't have the gospel in it. So what do we do with those authorities? Or we only, obey a, a, can, we only listen to the authorities when it's for our own safety. But we can send other Christians into other countries where their authorities are saying we do not want the gospel here. And we'll risk their lives, and we'll fund it, but we won't do it on our own ground. Just something to think about. Things I think about. Things I've had to think about. So I hope you understand, church, that as your pastor, some of the decisions that I've made, they weren't whimsical. They weren't just some quick thing, I like knee-jerk reaction. I've actually prayed and fasted and sought the Lord. And I have to give an account. I'm going to give an account for some areas that you're not going to give an account. Is that, is that fair? And I'm going to stand before God and give an account for those. You're not going to have to. So that's a beautiful thing. You're covered. But you're going to have to give an account for what you know the word says and what he's speaking to you. Amen? And I'm not going to be there for you. And you're not going to be there with me to go, Father, forgive him. He's ignorant. <laughs> none, of the, none of your help is going to help that. We can assume, and that's what it is, we can assume that 144,000 are sealed and will serve a similar purpose in the church's absence. Wouldn't that make sense? If the sealed ones are gone, he's going to need to seal some new ones. Does that make sense? Okay. That was point six. That was a longer one, so point seven. We're doing all right. <laughs> I think we're going to make it. I mean, there's probably 20, so we're not going to do those, but. <laughs> point seven, or my bad, point six, I'm jumping ahead. 
No, 0.7. Well, let's look at that verse before I get there. Um, this, is, this is the role of the Jewish people. And this is, um, I believe, this, Zechariah is speaking of, of predominantly the millennial time. But I see this very similar in, in during the tribulation also. Zechariah 8.23 says, The Lord of armies says this, In those days, ten people from all the nations will grasp the garments of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard the good news is with you. Now, I, I just want to just, I dared, why I believe there's going to be a lot of people get saved during, during the tribulation is I don't believe there will be ever as a powerful group of people. Now, we are empowered. We have this Holy Spirit empowerment. But I don't believe there will be ever a, a more powerful amount of people that have a knowledge of God and all of his patterns and all of his promises and all of the law and the, the feasts and all of those things that be able, when they understand that Jesus is their Messiah, the Jewish people, the 144,000, when they understand who Christ is, they will be the most ridiculous witnesses that's ever hit this earth. And there will be people coming, I believe, rapidly going, you know God, tell us about him. You know God. And they will be able to show the whole purpose of the law, the whole purpose, how Jesus fulfilled it, how Jesus was that sacrificial lamb, what the blood on the doorpost meant, what all, I mean, they will be the most amazing witnesses. That's what we should be doing. Because we can witness to, I was the dumbest knucklehead there's ever been. The only reason there's any good thing that's in me is Christ. I didn't even know all that stuff. Like Paul, I mean, Paul was against God, and Paul gets radically saved, and look what he does. He uses that Jewishness. Boom. This guy's rocking it. And that's what you're going to see with 144,000, I believe. All right, number seven. We were doing so good. Mid-trib or post-trib would promise wrath and then the rapture. Why is that a problem? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves report about us as to the kind of reception we had with you. And Paul's writing to the church. And how you turned to God from idols to serve a living God, a living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Come on. You can be excited about that. I would. That's a good word. There's a pattern there. We've seen some of these patterns earlier. Rescues us from the wrath to come. Rescues us. That's before the wrath to come. Not the wrath to come. Rescues us. You following me? Now, I don't agree with John MacArthur on some things. Um, but I do agree with him in, in his positions of eschatology, at least from what I've seen. And I actually quote him, and I thought this was pretty cool. I was listening to it, and just so some of you know, I don't just listen to the people that I like. I think it's important after, now it's not important for baby Christians. You shouldn't listen to nobody. You need to read the word of God, and that's why we're reading through Immerse. Read the word of God for yourself. Don't get on YouTube. Don't get on, read the word of God for yourself so the Holy Spirit can teach you his truth and then when you listen to other people, that Holy Spirit that you put that truth in will go, wait a minute, that ain't right. Hold on a second. Pastor Steve, that's good teaching. And I'll agree with you. <laughs> it is good. The Holy Spirit's the best teacher. Let him teach you and walk with you through the word before you start listening to other people. But after you've listened and after you've studied and after, then it's okay to listen to some different positions, which I do. I just don't agree with all of them. Amen? So it's not for the lack of listening. But John MacArthur said this, and I think this is great. He said, if a post-mid or if a post or mid-true um, trib rapture was true, Paul would have said to the Thessalonians, be glad you're in the day of the Lord. That means the rapture's near. He didn't say that, though. Instead, Paul said, be comforted. You are not going to be in the day of the Lord. That's what he said. Be comforted. You're not going to be in the day of the Lord. Otherwise, Paul would have been like, guess what? That tribulation and all that stuff is happening. That's good. That means Jesus is going to be here any moment. 
John MacArthur, I thought that's pretty sharp. Good, good word there. All right, number eight. The church will never say, hide me from Jesus. I guess some turned heads are going, huh, what are we talking about, Pastor Steve? Well, that's why we're talking about this. Early in the tribulation, all who dwell on the earth desire to be hidden from Christ. That tells me I must not be on the earth in chapter 6. Because this is what it says. Revelation chapter 6, 9 through 17. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, who broke the seal? The lamb broke the fifth seal, Jesus. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Now, that's not the church because they're wearing different clothes. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, I mean, that's the martyred church. It's not the raptured church. They cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who highlight, dwell on the earth? Circle that in your Bible. Earth dwellers, dwell on the earth. That's a very important term that's used a lot in the book of Revelation. Jesus, the Lamb, is judging those who dwell on the earth. It goes on, it says, And there was given to each of them a white robe, stole in the Greek, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell on the earth as fig trees cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And yes, I believe this is actually going to happen just like this word says, in case you're wondering. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, listen to this list. Then the kings of the earth, the great men, the commanders, the rich and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they, which is all of them, or the earth dwellers, said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, two things. They are the earth dwellers. They're saying, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I'm never going to say, hide me from his presence. I am who he says I am. I'm righteous. I am holy. He sees me as if I've never sinned. Why would I hide? I could come boldly into the throne room of grace. Also says, from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, this is where I don't believe in the pre-wrath. Like, I mean, I believe in pre-wrath, but the pre-wrath position is just another way to say mid-tribulation. And they say that the wrath of God doesn't happen till the bowl judgments. Well, that's the full wrath of God. This is the wrath of the Lamb. This is still wrath, and it's coming from the Lamb, who is Christ. So, Jesus is not going to pour his wrath out on his bride, who he loves and cherishes. That's, that's a twisted thing. That's like me, like, before I married my wife, as we're engaged, I'm going to, like, give her a beatdown. I just need to pound you into submission. And you really need to know how much I love you. That ain't my Jesus. Like, that's for free. We, the church, will not ever say, hide me from him. We're not going to hide ourselves. We're not going to, rather than see the lamb, wish the rocks would fall on us. Also, that group of people are called earth dwellers. Did you pick up on that? You see that in chapter 3 also. Earth dwellers are not the church. All through the book of Revelation, the phrase, those who dwell on the earth, is a designation for persistent unbelievers during the tribulation. Every time you see in, in, in Revelation the term earth dwellers or those who dwell on the earth, 
they are wrapped up in a group of people for persistent unbelieving during the tribulation. That ain't us. You follow me. Now, how do I know that? Well, just, just one of the places. We'll just look at one because I think that's all that's needed. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus said, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. Now, who is Jesus speaking to? The church. That hour, which is about to come upon who? The whole world, just like that said, to test those who dwell on the earth. So are we letting scripture interpret scripture? Am I coming up with who the earth dwellers are? No, I'm letting this book tell me who he's speaking to. And it's not us. He's telling the church, I will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And a lot of people will get hung up on like, well, why is it taking so long? He says, like Jesus said, like, like this generation now. Because if you understand, like he's talking of this church age. This church age is about to wrap up. God's outside of time. He just say, like, look, this age is about to wrap up, and when that age is up, this is going to be going on. So time doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to him. It does to us, but God's outside of it. So he's just talking of a time period. It's about to wrap up. And if you think we're getting closer to the end of that, which we saw, what wraps it up? Well, there's a certain number of Gentiles that have to get saved. It's not a day. It's a number. It's when that number gets hit. Go get your bride. That's why it says no man knows the day or the hour. We can actually speed it up. You want to get out of here? Go get more people saved. That's a pretty encouraging word. You want to hurry this thing up? Good. Go evangelize more. Go get more people saved. We'll get up out of here. The longer we sit on our tail and go, we are awesome. The longer it's going to stink. I don't think the devil would be behind that theology or idea. Amen? Ninth reason. The 24 elders represent the redeemed, and they are in heaven before the Lamb opens the scroll. Amen? The 24 elders, and we did our study back some time ago. They represent the 24 courses of priests in the Old Testament. It wasn't um, number 24 as like there's only 24. The 24 represented a large number. It just represented the whole priesthood. Okay? 24 courses of priests in the Old Testament, which represent the whole group. They wear priestly garments, which is white raiment. That is the clothing that, is, that John uses to separate the church and the tribulational saints. Tribulational saints wear stole, which is white robes. The church is wearing, or the 24 elders in the church, and the, and the kings and priests are wearing priestly attire. That would make sense, right? Kings and priests, that's what we're called. John says that. It says the us as kings and priests. Us, the church, kings and priests, unto our God. Also termed, used for, for the 24 elders. And it's consistent all through the book of Revelation. The clothing that the tribulation saints wear are white robes. The clothing that the elders and the church wears are white raiment. So, you see that raiment in Revelation 4.4, Revelation 2.10, Revelation 3.11. 2.10 and 3.11 are the church. Revelation 4.4, the 24 elders, same clothing. As opposed to the clothing of the tribulation saints, white robes. And consistently in 6.11, in Revelation 7.13 and 14. And the 24 elders also have gold crowns, another clue, gold crowns that they wear that we saw that were given to the church, the overcoming church, to the two churches that were overcoming that never had a bad word said. Very interesting, right? The, the two churches that got A's on the report card got gold crowns. So these people, and they have gold crowns, they're 24 orders, and, and they cast those crowns on the sea of glass in the throne room in Revelation chapter 4. The 24 elders are seated around the throne in Revelation 4, just like Jesus said the overcoming church would in Revelation 3.21. Now, for some of you who haven't heard this, you can go back 
and I can give you some notes on uh, the 24 elders and some of those things that have already been taught, or you can go back and re-listen to some of the messages. A very awesome thing that the 24s represent, how I know they represent the redeemed. How do we know, how, how do we know church, that they represent the redeemed? Besides what I just told you, which is a lot. There's one huge thing that the 24 elders do concerning the redeemed. They sing the song of the redeemed. They're the only ones that sing the song of the redeemed. Do you know why? They're the only ones that were redeemed, bought with a price. Amen? The redeemed ones aren't anything special. We were the mess-ups. We were the, we were the not, not his. And he had to come and lay down and pay the ultimate price to be able to redeem us and make us who we are. They sing the song of the redeemed. In chapter 5 of Revelation, they're the 24 elders. That's how I know. Also that we're called kings and priests. Also that we're wearing the clothing he said the overcoming church would wear. Also that we have the crowns that he said the overcoming church would have. And we happen to be singing a song called the Song of the Redeemed. In all of the things I'm going to tell you, if you don't believe the church is the 24 elders... I challenge you to study that out. Go do your homework and study out who are the 24 elders. Then tell me who they are, because I can tell you who they can't be. <laughs> it only leaves us. And just about any other theology position on eschatology is going to have a problem with the 24 elders. You got to do something with them outside of what scripture tells us and in order for it to fit, in my opinion. Let's look. Revelation 5, 8 through 14. It says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having one of them, every one of them, harps and golden vials full of orders, which are the prayers of the saints, which we looked at. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. By the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That sounds like the church. Not just one people, every people. Who's that represent? And has made us unto our God, kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Who's going to rule and reign on the earth? Us. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. So that's. Who's this leaving? And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And that word is myriads. And in the Greek, it is an uncountable number. John's using the biggest numbers he can. He's like, it's myriads of myriads of 10,000s of 10,000s. It's, I can't count that high is what he's saying. I don't, it's, it's uncountable. That's encouraging. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. Amen. And the four Beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Church, hear me. The elders are in the throne room before the Lamb has the scroll. The elders in chapter 4 are already in the throne room before the Lamb gets the scroll. They cast their crowns before the throne, before the Lamb even opens the scroll. The redeemed. They sing the song of the redeemed before one seal is opened on that scroll. Why are we covering this so strongly? If you were here last week, you can say, because Pastor Steve, you said you don't want us to be afraid. I do not want you afraid of the times that we're in. Even though the media and everything else around you is pumping nothing but fear. Church, we are the redeemed. We are the redeemed. There is no reason that we should be walking in fear. 
We are his bride, and we are his body. Amen? He calls us kings and priests unto his God. And he has redeemed us. We've been bought with a price, the most precious, the most expensive, the most valuable thing that there's ever been. The son of the living God has redeemed us. And I do not believe as he as our savior. Is Christ our savior? A savior doesn't throw what he saves to the dogs. He takes very precious what he saves. We're precious in his sight. We're precious in his sight. That doesn't mean, which I've said, that we're not going to face trouble. He said, they persecuted me. They will persecute you. Who's they? Men. Men, we're going we're gonna to suffer. We're going we're gonna to face some things. The church has been facing things since its birth. The church was born in persecution. and will probably leave in persecution. And we are going out that way. There's more persecution happened on the church in this age, in this last hundred years, than has ever happened in all time of the church. We just have been very, very protected and blessed in this state, in this country. And I'm not one that says that, well, America's going to have to repent or, or God would have to repent for destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. I know really great people said that, like Billy Graham. But just because Billy Graham said it doesn't mean it's so. What Billy Graham needs to also see, which he can't, is that this nation and even this state has done more for spreading the gospel than any nation. We have sent, we have sent evangelists and missionaries all over the world since its inception. We founded our country on Judeo-Christian values. That doesn't mean every step we've always followed them. And we're following them now. But there's still a remnant of people who said, thank you, God. And he said, if my people who are called by not my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And some people say, yeah, but that was, he was speaking of Israel. He said of his people. And I'm one of his people. And I don't believe God's limited to his word. If we, if we are his people, and, and listen to God's heart. Here's patterns. When he was going through and, and he saw Abraham. No, it was. Yeah, Abraham. He's about to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What would he have spared that whole place for? How many righteous people? He worked them all the way down, right? Started off with 50. How many are in the United States? See, we have a tendency to allow the enemy to think that we're all by ourselves. I have people, I have people as, and coming from even other churches and different people saying, well, well, thank you, Pastor Steve, for standing up. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for being strong. Thank you, Pastor Steve. And it's very tempting to be like, oh, yes. Here's the truth. There's many, many, many good pastors around the world who are standing. There's many, many, many good Christians around the world who are standing. We're not that special. Now, hear me when I say we're not that special. We are super special to God, but pastors aren't that special. We're all special. We're all, we're all equal in his sight. He loves us all the same. There's not like superhuman Christians and then lower level Christians. What makes us super awesome is the blood of the lamb. It's the blood of the lamb. Pastors don't get special blood. We don't get special Bibles. We don't get special prayer times. We don't get special numbers that we call and, and like God stops everything else and just listens to us. We don't get special Holy Spirit powers that you all don't get. We actually get special um, words that say you need to be very careful. Um, you shouldn't think too highly of yourself is what, is what he tells us. Now what you all tell us and what the world and Bible colleges tell us is that we need to, to elevate ourselves and be like these super people and not have like too close a relation with y'all. And we need to know. That's why you see all these pastors fall. That's why you see all these troubles come upon because they start believing their own hype when people go, well, you guys are awesome. That's why you're never going to see me look too much different than you. I'm not going to dress up like 
a superior person or present myself like that because I don't need any extra help. I've got an adversary. I don't need extra people helping that. And you see movements that elevate these pastors and they're these movie star status. That's not biblical. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Don't exalt people. That's why you hear, don't exalt people. There's only one who's worthy. See, when it came time to, to open the scroll, there was none in heaven. There was none on the earth. There was, none, there was none worthy. John begins to weep because he understands what's at stake. And he said, oh, John, there's one. There's one. The lamb. And I'm not it. There's no person preaching in a pulpit that's it. We're all the same. We're sons and daughters of the most high God. Amen? He's the only one that gets, that gets the praise. He's the only one that deserves glory. He's the only one that should be at rock star status. That's why you heard me say last week, I'm a sheepdog. He's the shepherd. And I understand before I get letters, well, pastor, you're an under-shepherd and you need to see yourself. I understand my responsibility, but I also understand that there's one that's worthy. All right? And he's not I'm not saying follow me. I'm saying follow me as I follow Christ. So who's the one that we follow? Who's the one who died on the cross for your sin? Who's the one that redeemed you? Who's the one that we sing about and is worthy? Only one. Amen? Amen. He is our Savior. I'm not your Savior. I will do my best to help you. I will do my best to ward off the, the wolves. I will do my best to walk humbly and honorably before God as your pastor. I will do my best to equip you. I will do my best to not cause you and lead you to sin. I will do my best to protect you the best I know how. But I'm going to fall short. Because if I could do this, the Bible said, if you or I could do this in our own strength or be able to do this spotless and perfectly, then Christ died in vain. And church, he did not die in vain. Amen? He is your Savior. He's the Savior of the world. Let me pray with you. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that we are the redeemed. There's no question about that. We thank you, Lord, that you have bought us and purchased us with the most precious price, your blood. And that blood cleanses us from all sin, makes us new, makes us whole. We thank you, Lord, because of that blood, you see us as holy and righteous. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves as you see us that we would truly begin to believe that we are your sons and daughters and that we are spotless. That we would believe what Paul said, that you circumcised our heart. You cut away the sin nature. We thank you, God, that it is not natural for us to sin anymore because we've been redeemed. We are who you say we are. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be very much about your business. That, Lord, we would run hard after you in these last days. That we would let people know how good and awesome you are and how forgiving you are. We will let people know that you're the redeemer and we can't do it without you and no one can. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you're the God of salvation. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Church, be blessed this week. Share your faith like never before. Go and tell someone that, that you've never told before, or maybe you've told him before. Go tell him again that Jesus loves him, and he's coming back soon. Amen? Amen. You are dismissed.